Greetings and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study one chapter of Tanakh per podcast. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. I'm honored, delighted, and it's a pleasure to be studying Sefer Yov and tonight to be concluding Sefer Yov with you. We're about to start, begin our last chapter, chapter 42, Paragman Bet, after Hashem's uh, two speeches to Yov, which were Lamed Chet and Lamed Tet, and then Mem Aleph, and... Uh, now Eov finally responds. What does Eov say now that he has the chance finally to speak to God, which throughout his disputations he was he was demanding? I know that you are able to do all. No plan, no plot is beyond you. And he's copying Hashem's own words. Who is it who is hiding counsel without knowledge? Who's bringing counsel without knowledge? Therefore I admit that I do not understand. And niflaot in both of its meanings, both something that is wondrous and something that is beyond, that is beyond my understanding, <clears throat> and I don't know it. I don't know you on the world. Please listen, and I will speak. That's what I said before. I want to ask you, and I want you to tell me. That's what I was saying before. Beforehand, I had heard about you. And now, sorry, my eye sees you. It doesn't mean that he actually had a vision of God in that way, uh, but the notion is that now I've had the personal connection. You've spoken to me. It's not just through tradition. It's through that personal connection. And therefore, I reject everything that I was saying, and I and I regret, and I change my mind. Emas uh, here is an interesting piece because earlier on, uh, as Elihu had said, God is great and does not reject. So God is not rejecting your claims, your requests, your confusion, your sadness. But now Eov himself is rejecting his own demands to take God to justice. And I turn my back on it. And here I am on the dirt and in the dust. And this is where I am. And I regret my demands. And that's the end of that conversation. And God speaks one more time. So after God said these words to Yov, God then spoke to Eliphaz. Now Eliphaz, if you recall, among the three friends is the only one to claim a prophetic vision. Uh, in chapter 4 and later on, but chiefly in chapter 4, God says, I am angry at you and at your two colleagues, your two friends, Bildad and Sofar. You did not speak properly to me like Eov did. Now it's interesting because Eov throughout was the one who was challenging God the most and they were defending God. But Eov was taking it to God. He was challenging him about things that he felt strongly about and he kept continuing to say he wasn't going to lie, he wasn't going to flatter. He was going to speak straight. And then, when God addressed him, Eov said the proper thing, which is, you're right, I don't understand. And I'm nothing in in front of you. And you did not speak properly. 
but also you did not speak properly about Eov. You accused Eov of being a Rasha, and that's not the case. This takes us back to the very beginning of the book. We're back, by the way, in narrative mode. And you'll see that Tameh Mikra now, starting in Pasuk Zion, have returned to the style of the 21 books of Tanakh, just as they were in the first two chapters. And Shiva Parim Shiva Elim takes seven bulls and seven rams. You have to go to Eov, my servant to Eov. And that's exactly what God called him to the Satan in the first two chapters. And bring up an Korban Olah on your behalf. And Eov, my servant, will pray for you. Why does Eov have to do this? If I favor him, then I will not do something terrible to you. Because you did not speak properly to me like Eov did. I have to remember, from the very beginning of the book, the issue is the way man speaks to God and what man thinks in his heart about God. And Eov's concern at the beginning of the book, bringing korbanot on behalf of his children, was that maybe Berchu Elohim Bilibam, maybe they cursed God in their heart. Eov speaks properly to God. He speaks openly and directly in challenging God. And then when God faces him down, accepting that. And now, uh, this is, and, but, but why is it that, that they have to bring their korban to Eov? Why don't they bring the korban directly to God instead of having Eov offer it up for them and pray on their behalf? Because they've insulted Eov. And Eov is the only one who can get them off the hook because they need to get his forgiveness. The three friends, they did what God told them. And God favored Eov and evidently let them off the hook. And now the happy end. God returned Eov's fortunes. When he was praying on behalf of his friend, in other words, his when when Eov uh, first, when they approached him with the korban, he was still in his terrible state. But when he prayed on behalf of his friends, then God gave him all of the good. And God even doubled everything that Eov had in his possessions. Interesting take, just for one moment out here, interesting take on the whole tale is that Eov is presented as a righteous person. And he's very concerned with his relationship with God. We don't hear, by the way, in the first two chapters, about his relationship with others. About his relationship with his children, certainly. And we find out his relationship with his wife a little bit. But we don't hear about his relationship with outsiders. In the middle of the disputations, there are charges leveled back and forth where Eliphaz accuses him of turning the Almanah away and, and hurting people. And Eov, in the meantime, comes back with how he's taken care of everybody. But we don't hear about that in the context of any real-world narrative, as it were. But here, when is Eov spared and returned his fortune? After he prays on behalf of, his other fe- of the other fellow. Important lesson in that. 
In the meantime, we get a bit of a flashback. Remember, during the course of the disputations, there were little hints here and there that there were other people listening. And then when Elihu got up to speak, we knew that Elihu had been there, and also that there were all sorts of other people who had been around, because there were Chachamim that Elihu spoke to, and so there was a crowd. And now, in a flashback, we get the, the, the picture of that crowd a little bit, called Echad V'chol Achiotav, so his brothers and his sisters, we didn't know that Eov had brothers and sisters, V'chol Yodav L'fanim, all the people who knew him back in the day, V'yuchlu Imo Lechem B'veto, they ate food with him in his house, V'yanudulo, they, they shook their head to him and they comforted him for all the evil that God brought to him and by the way that God brought to him not that happened to him that God brought to him every one of them this was evidently the practice gave him a coin a ksita coin that we recognize of course from Sefer Breshit Yaakov's purchase of the field in, uh, in east of Shechem and each person gave him one gold ring, gold nose ring. Okay, so these are the gifts that they brought him when comforting him. And then rolling back one pasuk, we find out that Eov's fortunes then get restored. Um, God blessed Eov's latter days even more than the earlier days, which is exactly what Eov had been told that uh, that uh, that your you'll have difficulty in the beginning but you have a great thing coming and he also said you have this great table waiting for you so he had 14,000 sheep remember all the sheep were wiped out 6,000 camels they had been all wiped out a uh, thousand teams of oxen and elephantanot, a thousand donkeys. Vahilo shivan vanim v'shalosh panot, which is exactly the number he had last time. Seven sons and three daughters. Remember, they had the seven sons and the seven feasts, one each day. Vaikrash shem ha'achat yimima. He called one of his daughters yimima. V'shem ha'shenit k'tzia. V'shem ha'shlishit karen apuch, which are all names of flowers. There were no girls as beautiful as Eov's daughters anywhere. And Eov gave them an inheritance among their brothers of all of this great wealth that he had. Which puts him firmly in the Breshit mode of years. Uh, just like Sita and just like the Olot and the Parim and the use of Shaddai. There's so many things in this book that, that the author clearly intends us to see it in the mode and the time frame of Breshit, which is why one of the opinions Chazal have is that Yehov was Bimei Avraham. Uh, the Uts and Buz, we've mentioned that along the way. And he ended up seeing four generations uh, meaning his great-great-grandchildren born, which reminds us, of course, of the very end of Sefer Breshit, and that's Yosef. And the only one who we're told about, actually, who sees his, his great-grandchildren born. And Yosef ends up dying old and with a satisfied life. little difficult for us in the real world to kind of see this, considering that According to the story back in Perak Bet, he lost ten children, and to say think that he dies in a happy life, even though he has ten more children, 
but uh, within the context of this story, this is exactly what is accomplished. It has been truly an honor to study Sefer Eov with you here at TanakhStudy.com. And uh, the question that Eov asked, the question that drives the entire Sefer, is a question that has been the naughtiest problem for theologians forever. The problem of theodicy, of why bad things happen in a world in which an all-knowing and all-powerful good God is present. Uh, And it's a problem that we will continue to wrestle with uh, on a micro level and on a macro level, on a historical level and on a personal level, on a national level, on a familial level. uh, And a problem that we will always turn to this book, not necessarily for the answers nearly as much as to help us wrestle with the question. And wrestling with the question has been our goal, and uh, with, uh, with God's help, we have accomplished at least part of that goal over the course of these 42 podcasts. Shalom, shalom, chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek.